Hey, we've been uh, on this series about songs of Christmas, and every week uh, my goal has been to um, help us to focus on some lyrics of songs that maybe we've sung all of our life, but um, maybe we've just slowed down long enough to, to really understand the words. And, um, you know, this morning's featured song, we've already sung it as a praise team, and we're going to hear it again, but when we hear it a second time, I want you to really listen to the words. It was actually written, or we think we, it was discovered, I should say, in 1884, and it came out in a Lutheran book of worship, like a hymnal at that time. And there were so many who thought that the great reformer, the one who started the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, uh, they believed that he was the one that wrote this song, but actually he didn't. Um, it's still a little bit of a mystery. There's a lot of questions about who did write it, who didn't. I don't know that the jury's ever really come to a conclusion as to who did. But it's a great song, and for over a century and a half plus, we've been really listening to these lyrics, and they're very moving and very meaningful. So our, our song for this morning, once again, is Away in a Manger. So listen closely to these words. No crib for a bed The little Lord Jesus Laid down his sweet head The stars in the sky Looked down where he lay The little Lord Jesus Asleep on the hay Look down from the sky and stay by my cradle till morning is nigh. Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay. Close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care and fit us for heaven to live with thee there.
There's a phrase in that, uh, that song that, that I really want to focus on this morning. It's the little Lord Jesus. And I think when we, when we think about this song and we think about those words, the little Lord Jesus, it immediately takes us back to this little baby that's uh, sitting in a manger. In fact, uh, the, the movie Talladega Nights comes to mind when uh, Ricky Bobby is like, that little seven-pound, four-ounce baby Jesus, you know. Uh, but we've got to really stretch our minds beyond that. Because whereas, yes, uh, God came in the world in the flesh as a baby, <clears throat> so much more has happened since then. And I think that, that we take those words, uh, little Lord Jesus, and I think we need to magnify that to the greater mission and the greater role of who Jesus is for us. And so therefore, I want to focus on the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord this morning. Somebody say, Jesus is Lord. Okay. You know, 740 times, if you don't believe me, Go count them yourself. It'll take you about 28 minutes and 32 seconds, I think, was my, my time frame. 740 times Jesus is Lord is recorded in the New Testament. And, and of those times, we understand the significance and the importance about understanding who Jesus really is. If we go back to Luke's gospel, that's uh, chapter two, that's what's frequently called the, uh, the, Christian, or the Christmas narrative. Matthew and Luke are the two that talk about the early life of Jesus, but Luke really is the historical account. And Luke begins to share with us about where this Jesus is Lord comes from and the first time that it's actually called that. So, so let's kind of reverse a little bit. Let's go back into the scripture for Luke chapter two. And let me set the stage. So the shepherds are, are watching their flocks by night. And remember, the shepherds were the outcasts of society. They weren't allowed to intermingle with regular people because, well, they were stinky shepherds. They had to stay out there. And what that says to me is because God first appeared to the stinky shepherds, it means that all of us are part of God's grace and that none of us is too poor, none of us is too uneducated, none of us is too whatever to be loved by God. All of us are loved by God. So let's pick up the story here. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, that's the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, listen to these words, do not be afraid. Here's another uh, quick uh, biblical thing you need to know. 365 do not be afraids or fear nots in the scriptures. That's one for every day of the year, okay? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, what? The, the Lord. So we see this, this uh, proclamation of Jesus is Lord. So that's really where we need to uh, uh, launch off of today. What does it mean to say that Jesus is Lord? What does it really mean to say that he is the Almighty? Uh, the Greek word that's used to describe here actually is kutios, and, and kutios actually is translated into supreme authority, and it also means controller, and it means Lord. So when Luke wrote his account of this gospel, this is the Greek word that he put in there. And what it means is that everything comes under the lordship of Jesus, that he is the supreme commander, he is the supreme authority, the controller, he is Lord of all things. Now, a lot of us will say, that's great news, yay, Jesus. But then the reality of it is it bothers some of us. 
Because there's some of us who, who want to be in control of our own life. We don't want someone else to be in control. We say we love Jesus. We say we're going to follow him. We're all that. But there's that little bit of control that's inside of us. And, and, and so really, Jesus is wrestling with us for control, to be supreme authority, to be Lord. Now listen, I, I stand before you and make an honest confession. I have no problem with letting go of control. I am not a control freak. Why are you laughing? <laughs> of course I have a problem with letting go of control, okay? That's just the way I'm wired. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. Listen, you know, whenever we're driving somewhere, like if someone says, hey, let's go somewhere, I usually say, let me drive. Because I know that no one else can drive as good as me because I like to be in control. I want to get there. You know, if you come to my house, do not touch the remote. If you touch it, as the scripture says, surely you will die, just like you ate, just like, just like the forbidden fruit was in, in the book of Genesis. No, putting all that aside. So, so all of us, I would be willing to say, and I, couldn't, I think I'm truthful with this, all of us have a problem with letting go of control. There are some things that we're like, here, Jesus, you have this. God, I'm turning this over to you. And there are some things that we just refuse to give over because we want to be in control. So there's some, some great challenges that we have to But what does it mean to say that Jesus is a controller, that he is the supreme authority, that he is Lord of our life? And that's really the, the huge piece that we, we need to look at that. Now, the word that use, that's used to describe what we must do to allow Jesus to be supreme authority, Lord of our life, controller, is a word we don't like to use because we think that the word is a word of weakness. We think it means that we've given up. We think it means that we've thrown in the towel or we've waved the white flag. What's the word? Surrender. I mean, we don't like to surrender anything. We don't. But yet, in order to claim and recognize Jesus as Lord of our life, we must do just that. We must surrender. So how do we surrender? There's two particular ways in which we can do that, two paths that we can walk. There's this one path that says that we can choose to live what I call a partially surrendered life a partially surrendered life. And what a partially surrendered life looks like is, is, is that basically I, there are lots of things that I feel comfortable giving over to God, but there's some things I'm, I'm just not gonna do it. Now, um, I think as I look around America today, um, I don't know the world like I think I can relate to our country. I think there's a lot of Americans, there's a lot of people in our country today who think that their lives are fully surrendered to God but what we're really doing is we're living a partially surrendered life. We haven't really given God everything that there is about us. We're living a, a partially surrendered life. There's, there are places in the world where people are under constant persecution because of the faith that, we, that they confess. There are most of us in this room who have never been under persecution, and yet we can kind of take willy-nilly at times, if we're truthful, we can be somewhat willy-nilly, laissez-faire, about our faith commitment when we were to really think about that. So, so Jesus in scripture is speaking to uh, two groups of people. He's speaking to um, wise and foolish builders, okay? And he begins to talk to them and he begins to say something very important. He says this in Luke chapter six. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then you don't do what I say? Now think about that for a second. He's saying, why, why are you giving me lip service? Why are you saying that you are my disciple? Why are you saying that you are my follower? Why are you saying that you are my child? Why are you calling me Lord when you're choosing everything in your life to say 
contrary to that. It's either 100% surrender or it's no surrender at all. And, and so we have to be looking at what it means to be partially surrendered. I, I think there's some people that, that might say that I love Jesus and, uh, you know, yeah, I'll follow him. But you know what? He talks about forgiveness. And, you know, he talks about forgiveness in the scriptures. And, and, but you know what? You don't know what that person did to me. So there's no way in the world I'm going to follow him on forgiveness. It would almost be like they rip a page out of the Bible, crumple it up, and throw it down. There's some people who say, yeah, you know, I, I, Jesus is Lord of my life. And uh, I know that the scripture says that God owns everything and I'm merely a manager, a steward, and I'm to be joyful in, in how I give back and, and how, how I'm supposed to help the kingdom's purpose. But you know what? When it comes to, to being benevolent with my funds, to being generous with that, you know what? I, I just can't do that. That tithing thing, that, that, you know, a joyful giver, that's just nonsense. And they tear out those words from the scriptures, and they throw them down. There's some people who, who go into even another area. They say, you know, when it comes to giving my time to God, you know, that, uh, that's fine. You know, I can get my time to God, but, but it better not be too early in the morning on a Sunday uh, because, you know, I stay out late on Friday and Saturday nights doing my own things, and I go out and I see people and out to dinner, and I go have a good time, or, or I do this, I play games with my friends at their houses, but don't ask me too early on Sunday morning or, or too late Sunday afternoon because, you know what, I'm taking a nap. So, so we're not really committed, and we're kind of this partially submitted, submitted piece. And, and here's the interesting part. You know, I debated as to whether or not to do this. I debated on actually taking a Bible, and when I gave you those examples, actually ripping those pages out, crumpling them up and throwing them down. But I knew some of you would be offended at me if I did that. I knew some of you would say, lightning's gonna strike our pastor, get away. But you know what? It's, it's just ink on pages. God's word is in us. It can't be torn out. It can't be erased. I can, I can defame a book, but I can't, I can't, say God's word can't affect me, it can, it always does. And see, sometimes we would get really upset and riled if, if I were to do something to that extreme, but what we fail to recognize is we do that every day to God, don't we? We just, choices we make, things that we do, commitments we do or don't mean, we're just kind of ripping it right out and we're just throwing God's word down and we're just saying, hey, it's not for me, but I'll do that, but I won't do this. It's the same thing. So, so this little Lord Jesus, it's about his lordship. It's about how, how um, strong and, and how relevant God is in our, in our life. You know, if I were to uh, use what I call the partially surrendered version of the scriptures, how many have a Bible that's in the translation, the partially surrendered version? It's not out there, I'm making it up, right? Uh, this I am making up on a Sunday. Everything else I tell you is true. But, but so, so Proverbs, Proverbs, it is. Proverbs 3, let me, let me just show you the partially surrendered. If I were to rewrite it, trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Okay, this is the partially surrendered. Trust the Lord with some of your heart and lean on your own understanding, as, as the, the writer of the Proverbs say, in some of your ways, submit to him. Not all the ways, but in some of your ways. And as you can make your own path straight, that's what a partially surrendered life does. We rewrite the scripture. We say, I'm not gonna be full. I'm not gonna be whole. I'm not gonna be 100% to that. I'm just gonna kind of do it my own way. And here's the important thing that we need to know, especially in this season, is we're all getting really excited about Christmas and, and, and what it means to start the calendar year of the, of the church and the season of Advent. We need to be reminded that, that the Lord is not a part-time Lord. Jesus did not say to you, I'm gonna be a part-time Lord in your life. I'm gonna be a, a Lord that picks and chooses what I will do for you, what I won't do for you. He says, I'm all in. I'm 100%. 
And, and believe it or not, that's what he wants from us. He doesn't want us to be part-time followers. He wants us to be all in. He wants us to be full-time as we pursue his love and as we, as we get to know him. You know, Jesus said, you wanna, you wanna follow me? Listen to the words he said. He said, first you must deny yourself, then you must take up your cross, and then you can follow me. It's kind of like, you know, um, I, I read the story of a, of a, of a, a wonderful pastor who's a worldwide evangelist, and he, and he got the call to ministry, and he said, you know, I'm gonna be like in front of thousands of people preaching and all this stuff, and he called up his senior pastor, and he says, God's calling me in my, in my life, and I'm gonna preach before thousands, and his senior pastor said, well, come to my office tomorrow, I'm gonna employ you real quickly, and we'll get that done. So he goes in the next day, and he's all excited, and his senior pastor hands him a mop, a toilet brush, and a garbage can. He says, you're gonna start as a servant first. See, it's about surrender. It's about being fully connected with God. So I want us to pause for a second this morning because this question is, is really important. And in today's message, um, I, I really want it to be thought-provoking to you. I want it to be something that makes you think. I want it to be something that you wrestle with. You can even disagree with me at the end of the day. I'm okay with that but I want you to wrestle with, with what the scriptures say. So, so if you were to think about what's the one thing in your life that you have not given up 100% control back to God, what is it? Is it your money? Is it your time? Is it your children? Is it your career? Is it um, a relationship? Is it, is it a material possession? What is it that you have not surrendered fully back to God? Where is it in your life that Jesus is not 100% Lord? You need to identify that. And then what you need to understand, like I have to understand, is when we know what that is, then that's all about where we do and don't trust God in our life. Because if we're not willing to give that one thing to God fully surrendered, then we don't trust God enough with it. We don't. And, and so Jesus says in this season about you know, being Lord and King and all these things, he says, trust me. You know, some of us in this room, we, we obsess about worrying over our children, whether they're little kids or whether they're adult kids, because we, we want what's best for them and we, we want their life to be blessed and, and we want them to, to not have troubles. We want them to have healthy marriages if that's what they choose. We want them to have healthy kids if that's what they choose. We want them to be lovers of God and we hope they choose that. But because we obsess on that with them, we don't give that to God. We wanna control it. And Jesus says, let me be Lord of all your life. Let me be fully there. Here's the second path. So that's the first, a partially surrendered life. Here's the second path you can take, and that is live the fully surrendered life. Live the fully surrendered life. That's not a Sunday Christian. That's not somebody who just comes into worship. That's not somebody who uh, does one or two things and feels good about, you know, I have a Jesus bumper sticker on my, on my you know, car. It says, you know, smile, Jesus loves you, but he loves me more. You know, I mean, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, that, that's not what it means to be a Christian. But yet, uh, many of us, we, we embrace that. Jesus says to have a fully committed life means we must fully commit. We can't do it partially. The apostle Paul put it this way. Paul says, we don't live for ourselves and we don't die for ourselves. 
Because if we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So it doesn't matter whether I live or die. It, it, it's all to honor God. So whether we live or die, we, what's the word there underlying? Belong. We belong to the Lord. Why is a fully committed life important? Because you belong to God. You don't belong to you. Husbands, you don't belong to your wives or spouses. You belong to God. We all belong to God. God created us. God poured the spirit into us. And God says, you're mine. We belong, we belong to the Lord. Our life is not our own. Salvation came at a cost. It didn't cost you anything. It didn't cost me anything. But it cost Jesus his life. And we need to get this right. And this is what this whole understanding the lordship of Jesus is about. The Christmas season, you know, it, it brings the birth story and, and we think about Jesus and, and we see the importance of that, but we can't just stop there. We've got to understand that, that the birth narrative leads to the death narrative, that all that happens in between is God's story of salvation and love and life for us. And we need to be able to live into that. We need to understand that when the baby became old enough and Jesus died on a cross, that that didn't end at all. That Christ is gonna come again. And as Christians, we profess that. And it's not something we're supposed to be fearful or scared about. Because if we are at one with Christ, we have nothing to fear. And how are we one with Christ? We say, Lord, I can't do this on my own anymore. I'm not God. And Lord, I'm gonna open myself and be fully committed to you. And to really mean that. And then daily be on a journey where our life choices reflect the image and the life and the love of Christ. Let's go back to that Proverbs 3 passage. So I'm not gonna read from the partially surrendered version. This is the true scripture version, okay? The, the other one was from the Bible. This is from the Bible, okay? Trust in who? The Lord. You see the difference here? Trust in the Lord with what? All of your heart. Not a little bit, but all. And do what? Lean not on your own understanding, but, but. We wanna let him guide our paths and let God be the one that moves us forward, that we will follow Christ wherever that leads. The greatest gift of the manger goes beyond Christmas morning. It goes beyond anything that we can fathom. The truth of the manger is, is that God wants you to know God as deeply as God knows you. And that goes back to that word belong. You're God's family. Whether you've known God a long time, whether, whether you're just now getting to know God, whether you don't know God yet, you're just kind of in church this season, just kind of checking it all out because you're, you're kind of wanting to see, is there something different? You belong. We all belong. Doesn't matter where we are in that journey. You belong. And you are God's family. And God pours out his, his love on us. But here's what happens sometimes. Sometimes we, we think we're committed because we've gone through confirmation as a student or, or we think we're committed because we got splashed or dunked in water and, and therefore we got wet. We think we're committed because you know, we, we, we help out on a Sunday morning or we, we do some things with that. That's not what commitment is. Commitment is total surrender. 
couple weeks ago, I, I shared with you the story about the rich young ruler, and, and, and the scripture says that he was wealthy, whether he was a ruler or whether he was just a wealthy person in the community or whatever, but the point is he had lots of resources. He comes up to Jesus and he says, he says I've, done, I've kept all the laws. What, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus you know, goes through some of the laws. Well, I've done all that, he says. So what else has to be done? I'm, I'm a good person. And Jesus said, what's the one thing that you have not surrendered to me? It was his money. Now remember I told you, there's nothing wrong with having wealth. But he worshiped his money. His money was his God. It was his Lord. And he didn't trust God enough to surrender it. So Jesus said, then give that to me, and then you will have what you've asked for. And what the scripture says is that the man looked at Jesus and said, you've got to be kidding me. No way I'm going to give up all of that. And the man left. And here's something that we sometimes miss in that scripture. Jesus didn't follow the man. He didn't go after him. He didn't go, hey, Joe, come back. Let's try this again. He just let him go. And what we do know is the word says, and the man left depressed. Who's Lord of your life? How will you make Jesus Christ Lord of your life? In Matthew, Jesus says these words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So when we are doing God's will, there's something about that that means we're connected with Christ. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did not prophesy in your name, uh, and, and in your name drive out demons, or when did we not prophesy in your name and, and drive out demons, and, and in your name uh, we performed many miracles, we did all those things. But then he says, I never knew you. Get away from me, evildoers. How does that translate today? Well, Lord, I came to church occasionally on Sunday. Is that good enough? Lord, I, I, every time I go to Target during the season, there's a guy ringing a bell and I put some change in that little kettle. Is that good enough? Lord, you know, I was a Boy Scout, so I help, you know, elderly people cross the street. Lord, I did this. Lord, I, I did that. I'm a good person. Not it. Jesus is to be Lord of your life. He's to be the chief assembly. He's to be the supreme person. He's to be your all. And when we come back to the manger, that's what we need to see. Not of little baby Jesus, but the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the author of the faith, the alpha, the omega, the one who holds the keys of hell and death, the one who has risen from the grave and who has given you and me that same power today. Jesus is Lord.